0: To C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. We are here to lift up the name of Jesus. I'm so excited to be back in Perth. I'm so excited to be back in this great church. Jason and Emma, you guys are absolute legends, great friends of ours, have become such great friends over the, the last 10 years or so, and we're so grateful your friendship, for your example and and your uh, influence and your advice as we enter into the years of having teenage daughters. We had our, our first daughter, Alicia, our oldest, she turned 13 about six weeks ago and as a rite of passage for turning 13 and becoming a teenager, she got to go on a four-day camping trip with dad, just me and her, and we went to Kakadu. National Parks we live in Darwin and we camped at Jim Jim Falls and it is I tell you give, give us a wave if you've camped at Jim Jim Falls okay there's about 5 people who know what I'm talking about go and talk to them later it is the it is one of the most amazing things you could ever do it's such a beautiful place and Australia is a beautiful country in fact last year we took 3 months of long service leave and we actually saw your beautiful state Western Australia, we, we drove from Darwin, pulled the kids out of school for a term, drove across to, to Broome and then just followed the coast all the way down, camping on the beach wherever we could uh, until we got a bit too south and it was a bit cold. Tell you what, it was cold. We weren't expecting that. But uh, even in November, it was freezing cold last year. It, uh, we, it's a beautiful. You have a beautiful state. You've got to get there and see it. Get out there and enjoy it. It's beautiful, and just the whole, it changes so many times as you, as you go, come down the coast. All the wildflowers, my phone albums actually feel like my phone has three things in it: camping photos, fishing photos and photos of wildflowers. It's just like it's amazing. You should see the wildflowers you guys have got. I need a pink shirt. I know. I, I'm embracing the, the beauty. It's awesome. I'm not sure how well it would go down in Darwin, but anyway, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. All right, I want to uh, speak to you today about an incredible miracle story in the Gospel of John, and I just, I just love hearing the words of Jesus, reading the stories of Jesus. I've, I've heard the stories of Jesus ever since I was a little boy. My my parents uh, took me along to, to church and to Sunday school and for the first 12 years of my life um, we, we were in the Anglican church and then until I was 16 we were in the Uniting church and then until I was 21 I was in the Baptist church and then I've been in C3 ever since. So that's kind of the progression that, that my life took and I feel like there's a culmination of, of my experiences that's happened that's, uh, that I just love the Word of God. And I'm so thankful for some of my traditional church heritage that's really birthed just this hunger for the Word of God. But I'm also thankful for the Pentecostal side that, that I got introduced to when I was about 21 and that I love the Holy Spirit and I love the presence of God. And, you know, in, we've been in Darwin for 12 years as the pastors of the church and when we first got there and people were kind of moving to town or whatever, they're looking for a church and one guy said to me very seriously, he's like, are you a word church or a spirit church? And I was like, oh, do you have to be one or the other? Like, can you be both? Because we want to be both. I want to be both. I want to... And do you know what? Honestly, the more I read Scripture, it just makes me want to fall on my knees and weep and worship God and praise Him and, and then get up and pray and get into the Spirit. And then the more I get into the Spirit... It makes me want to go and pick up my Bible and hear what God's speaking to me through his word. And so, and that's one of the things I love about C3. And that there is a great balance of the word and the spirit. And the word and the spirit are in perfect agreement, the Bible says. And so, but here we are coming around the word of the Lord this morning. And I want to talk, uh, the story that we're looking at is the healing at the pool. And you'll find it in John chapter 5. But before we start reading, I just want to set a bit of a scene for you because John, when he writes his gospel, yeah obviously you've got the gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, John was the closest disciple to Jesus. Most scholars reckon that John was about 18 years old at the most, some say 16, when he was called by Jesus to be a disciple and that's why he was so close to Jesus because he was kind of like the young guy, they had to keep an eye on him keep him under his wing and just look after him. Most of the disciples, they were all under 25 years of age, except for Peter, they reckon he might have been about 30. I don't know what you think about when you think about the, the 12 disciples, but these were young guys and John was a young guy. And John writes his, his gospel about 60 years after this has all happened. So if he was 18 then, let's say he's 78 when he's writing when he's writing this Gospel? And why does he wait that long to write down the stories of what happened through Jesus' ministry? And one of the things is that at the end of his Gospel, he says that if all the things that Jesus did were written down, the whole world would not have enough room to contain the books that were written. John says, I was there, I saw it all with my own eyes, and if I was going to write everything down, or any, everyone was going to write what they saw, the whole world wouldn't have enough room for the books. Which just shows you that what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is just the tiniest little bit of what Jesus actually did. Incredibly, John, he only writes about seven miracles that Jesus did. Matthew, Mark and Luke all, all write about more. So if John was there and he saw them all, why did he only choose seven? And it comes back to, well, what was the purpose of John's gospel? And see, 60 years after Jesus had risen from the dead and gone back to heaven, John is noticing that into the church, there's creeping some influences that both Jesus and Paul warned about. Jesus says, after I come, like, watch out, people are going to, wolves are going to come into the church. Paul says the same thing, after I come, false teachers and Uh, They're going to try and come into the church and and change the doctrine and change the teaching. and, And John writes his gospel explicitly to address and to set into stone. No, this is who Jesus is. And this is who Jesus was. Because every generation has to answer and wrestle with this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Today... The most important question you can ever ask, answer in your life is the question, who is Jesus? And guess what? It was the same 2,000 years ago. And into the church was coming influencers and they were kind of dulled down whether Jesus actually was God or not. And they were saying, well, no, no, he was a teacher and he was a, he was a prophet and he did amazing things. But they were trying to just pull back from this claim that Jesus was actually God incarnate. God came to earth in human flesh and walked among us. And John says, no, no, everyone needs to know this is who Jesus is. Jesus is God came to earth as a man. You read the beginning of John and he talks about the word became flesh and walked amongst us. And so John is laying it out. And to support his story that Jesus is God, he chooses seven miracles of Jesus. And he writes them into the first 12 chapters of John. And each one of those stories shows us one unique aspect of the divinity of Jesus. Each one of those stories, in fact, John doesn't even call them miracles. He calls them signs. If you ever read the Gospel of John, you might remember the first, it says that, Jesus, where he first revealed his glory. The first miracle he ever did was turning water into wine at a wedding, which is pretty cool, right? Turning up to, like for your first miracle, turn up to a wedding and turn all the water into wine. And John writes and he says, this was the first sign that Jesus did that revealed his glory. The whole point of the miracles, I'm just saying this to set this up, because when you read the story of the healing at the pool, the miracle is awesome. But it's not about the miracle, it's about the sign. So who knows that a sign is different to a miracle? If I wanted to get from here to the beach, say Scarborough, I'll be driving along the road and there'll be a sign that says Scarborough. I follow that sign, I get to the Scarborough beach. I'm not driving along looking for a miracle. I've done it wrong. Because there's actually signs. And so you look at a sign because a sign points you to something else. And so these miracles are actually signs because they're pointing you to something about Jesus. Now the miracle is awesome and the person who gets healed and the person who benefits from the miracles, they're glad about the miracle but it's actually about a sign for everyone to look at to see who Jesus really is. And so this is what happens at the healing of the pool. That was a long intro but we're going to read the scripture now. All right, after this... John chapter 5 verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to get distracted a few times and stop and just have to highlight something that happens. I love this. After this, there was a feast. There's another party. So where's Jesus? He's going to the party. <laughs> Jesus can sniff out a party. I'm just saying, if you ever read, ever read the Gospels one of the things that you will notice is that Jesus knows where the party is at and he, that's where you'll find him. That is where you find him. I, I love the Westminster Catechism. Have you ever heard it? It says man's chief end is to what? Does anyone know? It? Glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. God wants us to enjoy. And so Jesus, where the party is, it's actually, he's there because we want to enjoy his presence and he wants to celebrate with us, with his people. And so wherever there's a party, that's where Jesus is. As I said, his first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding just to keep the party rolling on a bit longer. All right, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. Now for those of you who are into, some of you will be, I kind of am, into looking into the meaning behind things, like the word Bethesda, it means house of grace, house of grace. Just keep that in your mind, house of grace, having five porches. In the Bible, five is the number that represents grace. Every time you see the number five, you can see the grace of God at work. And so Bethesda having five porches, so this is a place of grace. The grace of God. And you'll see why in a moment. In these lay a great multitude of sick people. Blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. In these lay a great multitude. Everyone say great multitude. I don't know what classifies as a great multitude. Look around. I don't think this is a great multitude. It's like, it's decent size. It's a gathering, but a great multitude. That's more like when I went to the AFL grand final a couple of years ago at Optus Stadium with Pastor Jason. That was a great multitude. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, some of you have watched this on The Chosen, right? Which is awesome, and you should do it. But there's like, it's pathetic. There's like 15, 20 people sitting there on the steps. This was a great multitude, <laughs> right? This is a great multitude, and how depressing is the sight? My, my father actually had a motorcycle accident 49 years ago, next Easter, and it was on Good Friday. It was his accident. And he was the youth leader in his church at the time. And he had a motorcycle accident, became a paraplegic, 49 years. So coming up to 50 years in a wheelchair. And he um, basically just, that, that, you, it either makes you, bitter, those sorts of things, or it becomes the defining moment of your life. He was 21 years of age and it made him better. And he, it grew his faith. It, it inspired him to go to God. This is the most godly man I know is my dad. Every morning when I was a kid, when I would get up in the morning, I'd go in, I'd see him sitting in his chair in his recliner in the sun, reading the Bible every day. It's just like my whole childhood is my dad reading the Bible first thing every day. And he's still my greatest mentor and uh, inspiration in life as to what he has overcome. He's never complained once. Never complained. I've never heard him complain about his disability or being in a wheelchair. And his life has not been easy. And I bring this into the story because sometimes we would go to healing meetings. And when you go to like a Benny Hinn crusade, which... Dad has because he's still got faith to get healed because he knows Jesus is the healer. And even if it doesn't happen in this life, he'll be walking and running in heaven. But, but he still has faith that it can happen in this life because if Jesus did it then and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever, why can't it happen today? And so he's, he's, he's living with faith for his healing. Still, 49 years later, every time I go and visit him, he's like, pray for me pray for my healing. It's just incredible. And so we're at Benny Hinn meeting and they put all the people who are in wheelchairs or on oxygen or on whatever in one area. And that, this many people, all in one area, people just, and it is depressing. There is zero faith in that area. It is just depressing. It is just, you feel like, and then the preacher's up there preaching and people again, and they never look down into that area and just like, come on, just pull. It, I'm just trying to set the scene. Like this is, a, this is a depressing scene, especially because in this situation, only one person will get healed every now and then. Let's read the story, continue and see what happens. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. It's a sad story, isn't it? All the people there, every now and then, an angel would come down and stir the water. What is that? Does that mess with your head when you read that? Joe, you know I love about this is called a house of grace, and God in His mercy and his compassion for his people, because there's been a period of 400 years where there's been no messages from God, no prophet of the Lord, the Old Testament's been sealed up 400 years, and now Jesus comes. But even in that 400-year period, God, out of his mercy and his compassion for his people, would just send an angel every now and then just to stir up the water. And John's pretty convinced it's an angel. People try and explain it all other ways, but John was there. He lived in that day. He's like, no, it was an angel. An angel came and stirred up the water. And the first one in, didn't matter what your condition, they were blind, lame, paralyzed, any condition, didn't matter what you had, the first one in got healed. It was usually someone who had someone there with them to help carry them in. And this guy, he had nobody, And I think there's a lesson for us even in that is that he had no idea who the person was who was standing beside him. Do you want to be made well? I think he's hearing this as Jesus offering to help him into the water. He's like, do you want to be made well? He's thinking Jesus is about to say, well, I I can help you get in the next time it gets stirred. And he says, I've got nobody. Nobody. So it'd be great if you could. I'm reading between the lines. I've got no man to help me. How often in life do we think that a man or a woman or of human origin is the answer to our problems? If only I had a man. If only I had a woman. If only I had a boss who was more generous. If only I had a decent lawyer. If only I had a pay rise. If only I had whatever it is, if only I had, and our eyes are on a man, on a person, without realising that if we lift up our eyes to God. Now, God works through people, but you need to understand that people are not the answer to your problems. People are not the, the answer to actually getting the breakthrough that you need in life. You might pin all your hopes, like, but God... I believe in you, my eyes are on you, God, I'm depending on. you are the source of my healing. You are the source of my provision. Sure. The boss might give you a pay rise, but it was God who moved on the boss's heart to actually favor me in that way. Put your eyes on Jesus. And so for this guy, it was Jesus who was actually standing next to him. Verse eight, Jesus said to him, "Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. Immediately, the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. That's the first. I've only got two points here this morning, by the way. First point is the miracle. The second point now is the sign. I want to talk to you about the sign of what we just saw, because the miracle is awesome. It's awesome for that guy But John doesn't include it in his gospel just because it was a a cool miracle that maybe messes with your head a little bit about an angel stirring up water. It's actually a sign. See, throughout the Old Testament, in the Jewish religion, water is symbolic of purification. And water has these purification properties that in in their ceremonial uh, things. There's ceremonial washing and ceremonial cleansing and it involves water and washing your hands and, and they were very strict. In, in fact, when Jesus turned the water into wine, if you go back earlier in this story, it's, it's, there were six stone water pots and it says the kind used for ceremonial washing. That's what Jesus turned into wine. Like most, most houses had clay water, water pots but these were stone living pots, uh, stone because it was living water. I just spoiled the surprise. Anyway, there you go. Pretend you didn't hear that bit. The stone, right, that that, that this water would, wouldn't go off. In the clay pots, the water's no good after a little while. But in the stone, man, this water can just, is preserved. And that's what's used for the purification. And so Jesus, in the turning of the water into wine, is... Because that was the first sign. After Jesus turned the water and the wine, it says this was the first sign. Do you know what the sign was there? The old way of getting right before God is getting replaced and updated and upgraded. No longer is it ceremonial washing and doing all the right things by the law and following all the rules and the regulations it's actually going to be the blood of Jesus. And he turned the, the wine as symbolic of the blood of Jesus. It's actually consuming and taking part. And that's what we do when we take communion. So I am, I am right with God because of the blood of Jesus. And I'm identifying now that this is the only way I can get right before God. as because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. And so the water, symbolic of purification, and Jesus is coming to bring the new covenant and the, the new creation. And he says, okay, so same with this water, this, this pool that has healing properties because an angel comes once every now and then. He says, okay, the way that people are going to get healed is actually getting updated and upgraded. It's actually going to be because of the words that I speak. It's not because of the, the, the healing properties of this pool. However, however great they are, See, Jesus could have worked within the parameters of that. Jesus could have said to the guy, okay, I got your back. Next time the water gets stirred, let's go. And Jesus could have, because he has contacts, he could have said, all right, angel, now. And so he got the head start in front of everyone else. I'm like, just when I get there, now that's when you go. He could have, it would have fit the story. The guy still would have got healed. But that's not the sign. Jesus could have walked out on the water. He does that later on. But he says, no. rise up, pick up your mat and walk. The word of God, the word of Jesus, just the word spoken. immediately He gets healed. So much better than sitting around for 38 years waiting for a stirring of the water that you may not may or may not. Even get into. So the sign is that the purification water, the properties of water, which are just a symbol of Jesus, which is to come. Jesus, the living water of life, the one who fills us with His Spirit, and so and so when He says, "Rise up, take your bed and walk," it says immediately the man was well took up his bed and walked. Let's read the rest of verse nine. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, we are so happy for you. (laughs) That's what you'd say, wouldn't you? It's incredible. You just got healed. 38 years. Praise God. Let's all like, let's all just take a moment to worship God together here. That's what, that's what you'd think they'd say. It's a miracle. In fact, they'd be dancing and shouting and singing and giving glory to God. But instead, they said, <laughs> I love the word verse, it's like, therefore. It's a given how they were going to respond. They therefore said to him who is cured, it is the Sabbath, It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Okay, let's just stop there for a minute. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, if Jesus didn't want to get in trouble, he would have just said, rise, leave your bed there. You don't need it anymore. Walk. And there would be no part B to this story. Everyone would have just gone home and everything would have been honky-dory. But Jesus didn't do that, knowing full well that he could have. In fact, Jesus didn't even have to turn up on the Sabbath because it was the Sabbath. I mean, there's six other days of the week he could have gone to that pool. You need to understand, Jesus, Jesus got some gumption Jesus is intentionally provoking. Why? Because this isn't just about a miracle. This is about a sign. So he's intentionally provoking. He's trying to get this reaction. So therefore, the Jews responded the way that they should. It's unlawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them. He throws Jesus under the bus. He says, well... He who made me well told me to take up my bed and walk. So I didn't it wasn't my idea, I'm just doing what he told me, and it's going well for me so far to do what he's told me. Verse twelve Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. It's like you know that Simpson's meme where he's going, That's Jesus, like Back back into the hedge. Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Remember, it was a great multitude and Jesus just blended into the crowd. He's gone, he's out of there. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. That's cool, isn't it? So what's this guy done after he's got his healing? He's gone gone to church. He's he's in the temple, he's giving glory. There's only reason he's gone to the temple because he hasn't been able to go to the temple because of his condition. He's now, the first place he goes is to the temple because he wants to give glory to God because he knows he's been healed. And you could go either way. Remember there were 10 lepers that got healed in one story and only one of them kind of gave glory to God and returned to Jesus. And so this guy, it's clear that the fact that Jesus found him in the temple, that something's changed about his life. And said to him, see, you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Think, wow, Jesus. Like, that's not nice, is it? Like, but what's a worse thing for a guy who's been an infirmity for 38 years sitting by that pool? What could be worse than that? Well, it's an eternal eternity apart from God, isn't it? It's not that Jesus is going to send some curse on him and make him sick again because he's already been there. It's actually Jesus saying now. Okay, it's good that you're here. You're giving your life to God. Now walk in that. Keep following God because then you're going to find that you're going to be right for eternity, not just for the rest of your life here on earth. Your eternity will be secure. And so verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. See that word? This is a major reaction to just healing somebody who was so sick. Why did they want to kill him? Because he had done these things on the Sabbath. If you look up your Old Testament, Exodus chapter 3, I think it might be 14 or 17 or somewhere around there. It says that anyone who profanes the Sabbath shall be put to death. So that's what they're reading. So they are completely justified in their law. This is where it starts messing with heads because we know that Jesus never sinned, right? Right? Yeah, Yeah, Jesus is, is sinless. And yet Jesus has clearly in their mind profaned the Sabbath and broken the Sabbath by telling this guy to pick up his bed. Jesus has broken the Sabbath by healing the man and he's broken the Sabbath by telling the man to, to pick up his mat, which is forbidden on the Sabbath. See, we, we read this story, and the bit that messes with our head is the angel stirring the water. Back then, they didn't care about angels stirring the water. Angels were part of their life. Angels appeared to Joseph and Mary, to Abraham, to all the Bible characters. They all saw angels. So angels are just normal for them. We look at it and go, wow, that's bizarre, angels. They're like, the bit that messes their head is this Sabbath bit. How could he do this on the Sabbath? Like, how could he do this on the Sabbath? Well, the key is somewhere else that Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, he says the Sabbath was not made for, sorry, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And so God is exempt from the Sabbath because the Sabbath is made for man. Even though God modelled it, God is not bound under it. Because in verse the next verse seventeen, this is where Jesus really rolls the hand grenade out, if he hadn't already. He said, Jesus answered, but Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Jesus said, Oh, you, you're worried about me doing this on the Sabbath? Guess what? My father has been working on every Sabbath until now. And so have I. In fact, working on the Sabbath is something that we just love to do. <laughs> working on the Sabbath, that's us. Me and my father, that's what we do. That's what he says. We've been working on the Sabbath ever since that first... We, sure, we took the, we, sure, we took the day off after creating the world. That was a big deal. But ever since then, we've been working on the Sabbath. And these people just fly into a rage. Therefore the Jews sought all the more, they already wanted to kill him but now they want to kill him all the more. Because he not only broke the Sabbath but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God and this is what it all boils down to. There's two things going on here, Jesus broke the Sabbath and number two, he claimed to be equal with God. Now, You've got to make a decision. Who is Jesus? Remember the question we asked at the beginning. Every generation has to answer this question, confronted with the evidence. So Jesus either is not the sinless person that we've been taught that he was, because he broke the Sabbath. He broke one of the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments, the law says that he should be killed for doing that. So Jesus, if he's not God then he should have been killed on the spot, which is actually why they put him on the cross anyway. They didn't realise that he actually was God, so he rose again from the dead. So he's either not God. So there's no way that Jesus could ever be a teacher or a prophet respected by any religion unless he's actually all the way God. It's not possible. I know people try and say that, but it's, it's actually not possible to hold that because he was at best, a false prophet, if there was anything prophetic about him, if he wasn't God. Once again, kill him. But if Jesus is God, he didn't sin by breaking the Sabbath. In fact, he's actually opening a whole new way for everyone to understand that Jesus is actually saying, you know what, you've been trying to find your rest in a day. From now on, you can find your rest in me. This man found his rest, he found his healing, he found his wholeness, he found the house of grace in me, in Jesus who is standing beside him, speaking to him. Jesus is the house of grace. Jesus is the, the stirring of the water that brings healing. Jesus is the Sabbath in which you find your rest. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. You actually find the rest that you're looking for in Jesus. And everybody has to decide. And he's either God or he's not. And if he is God, that should change the way that we live our life. You can't go on living your life according to what you want to do if you've got a God who actually calls you to lay down your life before him and to follow him and to hear his voice. And to obey his voice. And so the challenge I want to leave with you this morning is maybe you've never really accepted that Jesus is God. Maybe you've, you have done that, but it's been more of a mental tick. Oh, that's the Christian belief and I'm a Christian, so that's therefore what I believe. But you need to understand that that translates into a radical action in your life. Just like Jesus said to this guy, it's like, change the way you live because of this. Change the way you live. And so maybe you haven't changed, you're here today and you haven't changed the way you live because of what you believe to be true. I don't want to issue a challenge to you to make a commitment today that you are going to begin to follow Jesus like you've never followed Him before. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c 3 hcomau